You're listening to the Vineyard Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit vccmountcomfort.org. As they mentioned, we have a, a, a new series today called The Greatness of the Bible, or of the Gospel. Uh, Rick and I will be sharing that with you. And we're going to talk about some of the, the top points of the Gospel, and it'll carry us in, in through part of Lent. Today's the introduction. Uh, then next week it'll be on that the gospel is always relevant. That's a really important. It's relevant today. The gospel's always transformative. It always changes. And the gospel is always our central message. And we get away from that sometimes. The gospel's our central message. And then we'll, have a, we'll wrap up with final conclusions and thoughts. But to begin with, what does the word gospel mean? What does the word gospel mean? The Greek word is euangeling, or something to that effect. It's got a V up there. I th- oh, yeah. And actually, the Greek is a U. The, they, then the Latin took the Greek and kind of added a V. But, so, but what it is, is in the world of the New Testament, it means a striking, authoritative, joyful announcement of very good news. Phil Stout, who is our, the national director of the Vineyard, he says, the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is the announcement that God has intervened for us humans in our challenging plight with rescue, with hope, and with restoring power, all in and through Jesus Christ. So this book that I hold up is the good news of Christ as told through many eyewitnesses. And so we really have something valuable in this book. But a quick point. This is a proclamation of the good news, not the good advice. And while the message contains many wonderful things, the central message is news. So I know a lot of people, we come to church, and we're looking for good advice on how to live our life. And these are really important, and that will get taught. But that's not the main Point. And we're going to, some people come in, I got to plug into some system so that when I die, I go to the right place. And that's very important. And it'll get taught. But that's not the news. So we got to remember that. It's the central message is good news. And this is really big news. An event has happened. Something that makes history has happened that changes our reality in the present and into the future, and it's all good. So, but to, you know, to recognize good news, though, we kind of need a context or a backdrop because something's got to connect us to the story. And, I, you know, a lot of people, they don't have a positive connection to this. So, like, for example, if I say September 11th, Everyone here knows where you were. I don't have to say the year. There's an instant connection to that. But do you know the connection of October the 22nd, 1975? See, no one here knows. I know exactly where I was. I was at a fishing camp in Canada. And it's one of those places you have to be flown into, and so it's really remote. Uh, There's no TV signal. I brought a transistor radio, but there was no radio signal. 
is I was having a great time, except the Cincinnati Reds were in the World Series. And they're playing Boston. And I couldn't see it or hear it. And, I, and so I go in, they had a little lodge there. So I go in, and this is, this is Chuck B.C., before Christ. Uh, so I go in there and to go have a beer. And, uh, and there was a radio playing. And so I found out they had connected it to the emergency antenna. <laughs> and so I had to, and now when you fly into a place like this, you, you got weight is everything. You know, they, those little planes they fly in. So if you wanted to bring anything to have adult beverages, it, it usually had to be in a, in a bottle. So I bribed him with Kentucky bourbon. A Canadian, I, I gave him Kentucky bourbon, and he switched the station to the game. So the ninth inning of game seven, Joe Morgan gets the winning hit. And the Reds are world champions. Now, you've got to understand, in 70, they lost in the World Series. 72, they lost in the World Series. 73, they lost in the playoffs to the hated Mets. And so here's 75, and I run out of there looking for someone to tell the good news. And most of the people I would run into were French-speaking Canadians. So finally, I see, they have these little cabins, and I see these guys sitting around a campfire around their, outside their cabin. It was a little chilly at night then in October. And I rush up to him and go, oh, Americans. And I say, the Reds are the world champions. And then I look at one of them. He's wearing a Boston Bruins jacket. <laughs> it was not good news. Not only did they not invite me to their camp, they never spoke to me for the rest of my trip. But you see, the good news needs a backdrop. You know, parts of the world see it either as bad news, or they see it as a big nothing burger. But so many people are transformed by the staggering beauty and power of this message. How is it? What's, what was going on? See, the message, the gospel, is about Jesus Christ. And so many people put it into a backstory that's really very, very different than what most than what the Christians of that day were hearing. I'm going to tell you, what I heard kind of sounded like this. There's this dangerous, angry God up in the sky, and he's established these rules that nobody can keep. And that now he wants to send us all to hell. He, wants to get, he really wants to hammer us. That's the image I've got. Then luckily, someone shows up, and God kills him, and it ends up being his own son, and somehow that's all right. And then he comes out of the grave, and we're all forgiven. That made no sense to me. And the other way I heard it was someone would come up to me and say, do you know where you're going to go when you die? And I'd say something like, oh, in the, in the ground? Or my other reply was more likely, uh, I got a feeling you're about to tell me. <laughs> and then they told me, you're going to go to hell. And you know, Mark, I would probably reply something also had going to hell in it, but I didn't get saved. <laughs> See, the backstory is really different. It's stunning. When you look at the backstory of, of that event, it's a story of a very good God 
a loving God that creates a good world, creates good people. And they're to share in the workings in this new creation. As God's governor or regent, they are to bring wisdom, order, flourishing. They're to, they are to, they're to develop this creation, make it fruitful, make it multiply. They have dominion over the earth. They're going to name every animal. Then they would gather the praises of the world to glorify God for his love, goodness, and beauty to bring the joy of life before God in word and in song. That's the vocation of humanity. That's doing human. And that vocation has always remained. So the other part, like Romans, but there's more. Humanity was created to be image makers of God. So God moves through his creation, and, he, and, he, and he, we look to him then for a response as he moves in us. And that forms this union, and we witness to the creation the glory of God. God is casting his vision through his creative ones. And so then we look to God for our identity. And in God, we find our identity. So God created, though, also, this, he created the spirit world. Angels, cherubim, seraphim, different things. And there was a rebel in their midst. Then humanity partnered with this rebel and broke their loyalty and love to God. Having broken their relationship, they began to look to each other for their identity, and it lacked. It actually became deadly because in this cycle, because the life is in God, it's not in the world. And so humanity stepped away from its role as an image maker. No longer could the relationship of God continue, and God moved them out of the garden, but the vocation of humanity did not change. Our role was still the same. Unfortunately, something in us had died, or maybe better phrased, something in us had taken on the nature of the one whom we'd formed a partnership. So God never removed his plan and role for humanity, nor has he changed his plan to continue to make the earth flourish through his mankind, his created people. God is still good and still loving. Therefore, his plan was one of restoration. That makes up most of the Old Testament, of what we call it in the Bible. That's an historical record of God working toward the day when he can bring a Savior, or in Jewish parlance, a Messiah. And that's to, broke the, to fix the broken relationship with God so that life can be restored. Then Jesus arrives. But God's plan had begun when his creation went into rebellion that resulted in the, into the sin that infected everything. So when the timing may not have been certain, Jesus was always coming. And so on Christmas morning, he arrived. Where Jesus goes, the kingdom goes with him. The kingdom of God is both present and defined in him. Jesus finally stirs up the forces of evil to the point that they kill him. In that death, Jesus gathers all of the sin of the world, and it is buried with him. And then 
by the power of the Father, Jesus is raised to life, which crushes the forces of evil. Reclaiming humanity in their role as image makers and stewards of the planet. Creation has relaunched with Jesus himself as its example and as its primary agent. And this moves forward to the final consummation and the return of Christ and the completion of the new creation. This is good news. This is the good news that we preach and proclaim. The newness of life in Christ our Lord Jesus. But it doesn't stop there. God sent his spirit into the world to empower all that come and embrace the new good news. We look to God and he looks to us and the cycle of centuries ago is rekindled and alive and we find our identity again. Our identity is restored in Christ. His vision through us is restored also. That we look to God and he looks to, okay. We look to God and he looks to us in the cycle of centuries ago is rekindled and alive. Our identity is restored in Christ and his vision is cast through us again. The redemption, the redemption plan of, Christ, of God climaxes with the indwelling of, of Christ through the Holy Spirit. Christ is not merely before me to be, to be beheld, but it's it is in us to be known. No wonder Paul proclaims in the first chapter of the book of Romans, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. The good news of, of Jesus, salvation found in him alone, is the single most important event since creation. And I'll even go too far to say it's more important because the good news includes mercy, compassion, and forgiveness that was not necessary at the creation. It, is there anything more relevant today than the, than the news of an ongoing expansion of the original plan for humanity? The pathway filled with goodness and love for each other into eternal life is the good news. That's why what probably is the most famous line of the, of the entire Bible, John 3, 16, 17, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Amen. That does not sound like an angry God does not sound like a God bent on crushing a rebellion. It sounds to me, you know, when you walk through bookstores, let's try a few, or if you go online, Amazon, you'll see them full of self-help guides. Everything from Buddhism to Taoism, to hypnosis and new age and every psychosis, even, even happiness. There's books out there that say that happiness is a problem. But can anything transform us more than a supernatural infusion of the Holy Spirit to reestablish our original identity while the old one dies and exists no longer? From this main theme, we can grow into the revelations of atonement, giftings, power, and authority. But it's only from this central point that all of the rest has relevance and importance. Until we have this, that doesn't happen. 
Jesus is the gospel. I saw N.T. Wright a long time ago tell this story, and I just thought it was so funny I had to include it for you. He was all dressed up. If you don't know who N.T. Wright is, he's a, he's a very, very well-known theologian, probably the most powerful powerfully known in our time right now, but he's a bishop in England, or I think he's retired, but he was a bishop in England. And so he's all dressed up in his bishop clothes, and he's about to go to speak to some very elite seminary with all these scholars, and he hops into a cab, and the cab driver remarks about how he's dressed. And he said, you know, all that religious stuff is a bit too complicated for me. Because I kind of looked at it, and it seemed to me that God said he was going to send somebody to make things right. Then this Jesus bloke shows up, and he's the guy. He makes a ruckus, and they end up killing him. He rises out of the grave, says we're all forgiven. Now, if this is really, really true, that God really sent someone, and he really was his son, and he really pops out of the grave, and then he's chatting up his mates with, with having a fish dinner, he said, the list is rock and roll. We got a whole new ball game. <laughs> N.T. Wright said, because I gave him a $50 tip and said, you may have just written the best sermon on the, on the good news that I have ever heard. <laughs> See, God, the gospel rests upon the history of Jesus Christ, his birth, obedient life, atoning death, physical resurrection from the dead, and his ascension into heaven. Yeah. You know, the Apostle Paul, he wrote to a young man that was called into ministry, and he was a little bit nervous about proclaiming the good news. And I don't doubt there's a few of us here in this room that also get a little nervous about proclaiming the good news. And so you have a serious, a similar nervousness. You know, we, do you wonder if you're qualified? And sometimes we wonder if we're qualified. Uh, we want to make sure we know what we're talking about. And, but we, never, we forget. The Holy Spirit's qualified. And if we pause and let him, he's going to handle the talking points and lead you into to describing your encounter with Jesus. Because that's the story that everyone wants to hear, is your encounter. So I wanted to read what Paul wrote to, in 2 Timothy, to Timothy. And it, it, it began with, he's talking about his, uh, his mother and his grandmother and their faith. And then he picks up in verse 6. I want you to listen to these words. These are just so full, these words are. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. What a picture of that. He's telling him, you've got an ember in you. Fan it till a, flyer, a fire emerges. Have you ever done that with a fireplace? Especially like the next morning, and it's, it's say you're off work that morning, and you put some more coals on there, and then you, you hit the little bellows, and that, thump, that's what he's saying. Have this happen inside of you, Timothy, because it was a gift put into you and anointed with the laying on of hands. What a picture that Timothy now has back into his mind the moment that he received the calling from God to give the good news. Do you remember the day you were saved? Do you remember the day you were baptized? And do you remember then? That was your ember being put in you, and now it's time to fan that flame. And you were anointed on that day. 
to share the good news. So let me keep going. You can tell I love that section. Um, For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join me in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. We don't do this alone. By the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. Do you understand this? We don't do these things for God to get something. We do these things for God because he is something. And that's our motivation. So this grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but now it has been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to life through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That's why I am suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame, because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. What you heard from me, keep as a pattern of sound teaching of faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives with us. Think about that a second. Guard that holy deposit. Don't let anyone steal it from you. Don't let anyone take pieces of it or twist it. it this, is, this is a word of come to battle to defend it. Through the Holy Spirit, though, here we got it, with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. This is, he's, he's right now, this is, they ought to take this verse and put it in the, the chapter 6 of Ephesians because that's what he's talking about, taking the whole armor of God to protect this deposit. So what a, I just think that was such a, a wonderful, that vision for me was just powerful. I just love it. You know, over the next four weeks, we're going to continue to examine the basics of the gospel. And what we preach and why we preach it. And I, I pray that you open your hearts to some to receive this message with a new vision and a new revelation. You know, really, 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 I, there are no better words you'll ever hear from someone than when they say, yeah, I think I get it now. That's just like you fall over. I hope you each have that joy of hearing that over and over in your lifetime. Yeah, I guess it does kind of make sense. I think I get it now. So when you bring the backdrop and the new good news, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Now, I've asked a a few members of our staff if they would share with us today a couple of their most life-giving verses from the Bible, verses that are relevant, transformative, and central to their the way they live in Christ. So Rick Francis and Rick Baumgartner, Linda and Michelle are each going to be invited up to, to share that verse. And if you guys want to come up and just kind of like sit in the front seat and each take a turn. So we want to start with Rick Francis. I want to suggest something. If you have a pen or pencil, write down this verse. 
that each of them, these are verses that have really guided their life. These are, these are powerful verses. And see where they connect into your life also. Psalm 43, beginning at verse 3 and 4. Send your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my joy and my delight. I will praise you with the lyre, O God my God. Amen. Now this has got the newer NIV translation, but one I like is on the screen. Send forth your light and your truth. Yeah. And that's, uh, that came to my heart at a time when I was kind of really restricted and limited. I'd already been a believer, already been preaching and, and, and ministering in the, in the kingdom, but there were, there were things that were limiting me and were restricting my ability. And when I read this, I'd been doing some counseling with Mike Robertson at the time, and when I read this, I realized all my life I was scared to death of light and truth. I could preach light and truth biblically, but in my heart of hearts, I was scared to death of what light and truth would represent. For me, it would represent exposure. I would be exposed, and as a result of that, uh, I, I was paralyzed by shame. And it was like, oh. and that day, the light and truth became a reality. I saw the light come kind of like a laser beam and it just cut off all the restrictions that were holding me back and that were holding me down. The things that were keeping my hands kind of tied so that I could move freely. And then to take care of the knife that was in my gut that uh, metaphorically speaking was, was just releasing excruciating pain. But then the light and the truth came and they came not to shame me, but they came to be my personal escorts to take me into the very throne room of God, into his presence, to his mountain. And as a result of that, transformation, it takes place. That's the good news. Thank you. I have a funny feeling I want to hear something from Romans, but I'm not sure. Rick B. <laughs> oh no, he's surprising us. <laughs> But Chuck wouldn't let me read the whole book of Romans. So, so I said, how about Ephesians? He said, no, that's too much to do. So, uh, actually, what, what the, the declaration that Rick had us read after the end of the service today from Romans 5 um, uh, has to do with hope. And for me, one of the greatest aspects of the good news is Christ in us, the hope of glory. So, my verse today is um, Hebrews 7, verse 19. I'm going to start at 18b just to put the context in this. Um, and now we have run into his heart, his being God. Now we have run into his heart to hide ourselves in his faithfulness. This is where we find his strength and comfort, for he empowers us to seize what has already been established ahead of time an unshakable hope. We have this certain hope like a strong, unbreakable anchor holding our souls to God himself. Our anchor of hope is fastened to the mercy seat 
which sits in the heavenly realm beyond the sacred threshold, and where Jesus, our forerunner, has gone in before us. This verse has been an anchor for me, and uh, over the years I have looked at it and thought, boy, you know, it's really good to know that that anchor doesn't drag, it doesn't move, it has me solidly anchored to the hope that comes from Jesus, and it has all of us solidly anchored to. Rick B is our fixed point. He's got the anchor keeping him from drifting. Yes. That's a beautiful picture. You know what's really interesting? The, the same verse he mentioned in our reading of Romans, that for me was peace. He found hope. But I, it says, and it's with this that we, we have peace with God. So we all pick different things out of the same verse because God's touching different parts of our heart. Sort of like hot peppers. Some hits in the tongue, some hits in the temples. You know, so. Okay, Michelle, you look like you're next. Oh, hot peppers. <laughs> I have my scripture is Psalm 145. And I really like the whole song, but I didn't want to read the entire thing. And actually, if you listen to Daily Connection this week, I also read part of this then. Um, and um, the first part is not up here, but I just want to share it. Um, the Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. The Lord holds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him. And I got this scripture um, over 26 years ago. Um, I had my son, and then I wanted we wanted to add another child to our family. And there was eight years that we had to wait. But during that time, uh, the Lord had prophesied through a friend that we were going to conceive and have another child. And but I waited a long time. But the Lord had given me this scripture, and I hung on to it. He heard my cries. He was faithful to honor that prophecy. And we now have a beautiful daughter, Hannah Rose. Um, this has been my go-to verse for a long time. Anything the Lord has promised, anything that he said he would provide, through a lot of things, he has been faithful to fulfill those things and, and the desires of our hearts. And so this has been my go-to, and I'm going to keep it for as long as I can. Yeah. Now we have Linda. Her favorite verse is called the New Testament. <laughs> so she's going to read it all for us here today. <laughs> when Chuck asked us to do this, I thought, oh my gosh, I've got so many favorites. Which one am I going to draw from? And maybe some of you are that way too. I have found that uh, different seasons of my life bring a different focus in the Word. And so one of my favorite verses is from Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to bless you and plans for a future. And I hung on to that for years and years. But I tell you now, as I've come into being a caregiver uh, with my husband in our home, there are times in the day, every day, that I'm not sure I can take that next step. And so this is my verse now. 
In him I live and move and have my being. Yeah. And I make it personal. I say, Lord, in you I live and move and have my being. And there's nothing else to say on top of that. Amen. Amen. Okay, my time, my turn. Um, my favorite book is from the book of Ephesians. Isn't that a surprise? But I have to tell you, I, was, uh, I came to Christ during Holy Week. And I remember by the time Good Friday came, I was, I was spent the whole week I was talked into reading the, the uh, Passion verses from all four Gospels all through the week. By Good Friday, I was in tears. So I remember calling pa uh, Pastor Park, I was a Korean pastor, and I said, I think I need to be baptized. And so we, we prayed right there, and I, I came to Christ. The following Sunday was Easter. And this is what was read that Easter. Um, it's Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. And I want you to notice how many times you hear the word in or with Christ. So because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he, may, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. I can still remember, I wasn't really sure what was going on as I was coming to Christ, and that's when I said, oh, I think I get it now. And so that's really been important to me, that I was, I was dead, but I was made alive. That word made alive is, means creation. It wasn't that the old Chuck was resuscitated. This is made alive as a new creation. It's a different word in the Greek. And that then he lifts me up. That cradles me with his own hands. That's the picture here. And raises us up. Then we fly together into the heavenly realms, however that picture looks for you. And that, that's where we are seated. I just, that was so overwhelming to me. It took me years and years and years to even get it. That was so much. I just got blasted with a fire hose and all I wanted was a teaspoon of water. And it was so much for me. It's still so much for me. I can read that and God can speak to me in ways that if I'm in a prayer time and I'm absolutely dry as a desert and nothing's coming to me and all I want to do is complain, I go to this one and he just tells me this and I'm like, oh my. And then he starts talking to me. He always does. And even when I've had a dry spell, he talks to me because I feel like he leads me. Go back and look at a journal. Look somewhere else where you've seen me. And so I'm just saying, take a verse. Make it yours. Make the gospel, the good news of Christ, alive. Or someplace you can go to when you're feeling lonely, when you're feeling despair, when you're feeling anything but a holy roller, it's time to get, to get the holy on and start rolling. So, and, and use, let God speak to you. 
So we're, I'm excited about this, this, this new uh, series. I think it's, a lot of us are really gonna have a lot of fun with this. And when I say fun, you know, the joy of Christ is fun. So, you know, you're allowed to have fun in church. So, yes. <laughs> obviously. So, so anyway, let's do this now. Oh, I don't need this. <laughs> let's grab our communion elements. I think I may have turned it back on. Um, for me, communion is the, the remembrance that we're talking about. To me, is it's my reaffirmment of my participation in the new covenant. That's always been for me. Some other people have a different way of doing it. And I look at the incarnation of Christ and then the good news that God has come to save us that we've been talking about is in the, the communion. And that's why he said, when he, he breaks the bread and he says, take this and eat of it, because this is my body. Christ came in human form. And then he took the cup. And every covenant was bonded with this, with the blood. The blood, though, was where he gathered in all the sins of the world. And as he bled, he was gathering more and more to the point where he passed away. But then he rose. The sins still are buried. So I look at this, this new covenant of Christ, his death upon the cross and his resurrection. And I say, you, Lord, are the only news in my life. Yes. Let's keep in our heart right now what, what, what stirred today. And you've, we've all been exercising some journaling from the last one. This doesn't have anything to give you, but I want you to, to even get the write on a scrap of paper and fill it out later. What did the Lord speak to you today that says good news to you? So, you have a blessed day, and we'll all see you next door with the food pantry. So, bless you. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. To receive more audio content from The Vineyard, click the subscribe button in iTunes.